You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, I'm Luke Hector. Thank you for joining me on another Broken Meeple show slash Broken Meeple podcast. Uh, 21st of August ni- uh, 19? <laughs> 2022. Cool, blimey, I've travelled back in time for episode 56. It's been pretty active for me at the moment because I have got a ton of content that i got to get through. It's kind of ridiculous in a good way. I mean, the top 100 is in full swing, so you know, thanks to everybody who's been tuning into that. Uh, we're already up to 80 to 71. Uh, I can tell you that the 70 to 61 is rendered and ready. I'll probably put that up. It's either going to go up on tomorrow or probably Tuesday or Wednesday uh, because I also have rendered reviews for Great Plains, Sobek, and Radlands in the works. So they need to be released at some point, and they are all separate videos. On top of that, though, I need to do a lot of other recordings because not only do I have to keep the top 100 going... I've also got to play and review Creature Comforts. I've also got to review and play Oathsworn. You know, I've got a copy of that in the post. An 11 kilogram box for the standee version that I've got to do. I've got Terracotta Army from Board and Dice. They've sent me a copy of that. Thank you very much to Board and Dice. So I've got to, you know, play and review that one. Uh, the make uh, Board Cubator, the people who are doing the Kingdom Come Deliverance Kickstarter soon, they've sent me a preview copy of that. I need to somehow get that played. Uh, my old buddy who used to work at Asmodee has sent me a Soul Forge, a two-player Richard Garfield game that looks a bit like Magic the Gathering if you crossed it with Smash Up. It's and a little bit of Key Forge. There's that. Uh, what else have I got to play and do? Oh yes, I've also got to do the expansion review I wanted to do for the Viscounts of the West Kingdom. And then I've also got a Zatu.co.uk sponsored video where I'm going into the expansions of Cosmic Encounter, including the newest one. So, I've got a lot to do. Yeah, a lot of content to put out. So, if you're a fan of the show, then you're in for a treat for September. Because, you know, throughout the rest of August and September, there's going to be a ton of... Of material. Just be patient for it all because I can't release it all at once because not only do people get burnt out on that, it also screws up the algorithm, but you also, you know, just expect it spread out. You know, the top 100 is going to go at a decent pace. There won't be like some massive gap where there's no top 100 video or something. So just be patient. Reviews are going to be spread out as need be. Same with the Beyond the Base game stuff. There's just a lot of stuff to come. And of course, I'll have to fit in podcasts as I go along, the next Kickstarter show, which people are really liking. Thank you. And of course, some kind of Essen preview video I'm sure I'll have to do as well. Although, I've looked at the Essen preview list at the moment as it stands, and um, nish good <laughs> is what I put about it. Called blimey. I've never looked so little to... I've never been so uh, disinterested in a lot of releases coming out of Essen as I have this year. They just... Nothing looks like it. There's very little that is catching my eye. There's some stuff from my anticipated games list from earlier in the year that I can't see on there. But if they're there, I'm definitely going to check them out. But yeah, in terms of new stuff, I've barely found like 10, 15 things I'm interested in. The rest of it you can just go ignore just by looking at the cover or the title or just knowing, oh yeah, this is a kid's game. Oh, this is like low effort. You know, it's, there's really not a lot in there that's like jumping out as, oh yeah, this will be the big game of 2022, which is... 
kind of worried. In fact, honestly, if I'm going to put my vote onto who's going to have a good setup this time, it's probably going to be Check Game Editions again. I think Check Game Editions always seem to nail a lesson because they've got Deal with the Devil and the Spaceship Captain or Starship Captain coming out. Both of them I want to try stacked. You know, those two look amazing. So, yeah, it's going to be their convention again. But I will be at Essen. I've got, the t I've got my travel sorted. Well, I haven't got my travel sorted. I need to get the COVID stuff sorted. I better get on and do that. But the, you know, I'm driving up with Paul Grogan. I'm going to ferry him across, you know, so he's going to keep me sane during the journey. Although, to be honest, knowing Paul, he'll just fall asleep for half the journey, so it probably won't be too bad. But, you know, it shares the petrol cost, if nothing else, as well as the uh, tickets to get across the channel. But then we're going to stay together in a room, just the two of us. Just the two of us. Do, do, do. Yeah, it's not like that. But it's certainly going to be, you know, we're going to be sharing a room in, uh, I think, the Premier Inn or something, Central Essen, which is good because it's, it's only marginally cheaper than where I was before because I can usually grab, I usually grab like a cheap motel or something. But at least there, I should be guaranteed a half-decent night's sleep because Paul's quite keen on getting his sleep and I certainly like to get my sleep as well so the two of us won't be waking each other up at early morning hours trying to do stuff so that should be pretty good so I reckon that'll be a pretty decent stay at Essen and of course I look forward to seeing you all I'm going to be helping out Greater and Games on their demo booth so I'm going to be demoing hopefully Spirit Island and Sentinels in the Multiverse that's going to be fun although we've got to wear masks again so we've got to talk this while teaching people how to play games it hurt last time when I did it with Porto. It's going to hurt this time as well. But, oh well, needs must. You know, those are the rules. It's Germany. When in Rome. When in, oh, when in, when in Essen. Do as the Essenian, Essenians do? I don't know. What would the phrase be for that? But I digress. So, yeah. There's a lot of stuff coming. Uh, social media-wise, Instagram is doing really well. Uh, 2,000 followers. We're almost at 2,000 followers. That's fantastic. You know, cannot wait for, to get that 2,000 mark. Although, considering I've put probably over 2,000 posts out by now, you'd think I'd be at 20,000. But uh, uh, that's just the way it is, I guess. But, yeah, you know, you know not a big deal on that one. Uh, the... Other social media bits, Twitter we'll get onto later, but, you know, that's had its issues lately. Facebook, Facebook just seems to have dried up, honestly. I put posts out about the Ark Nova expansion I'm going to talk about later, and it just, you know, barely anybody responds. And this is the expansion to one of the hottest games at the moment. It's clear that Facebook is just really not a good place to engage about board games. I mean, if there's a good Facebook group that you know of where engagement is high, then please let me know. But so far, the UK trading group, the board game group, they're just dead. They're dead on arrival in terms of engagement unless you are super Mr. Popular. The Dice Tower one's not too bad. I'll go on that one. Board Game Geek gets a lot of engagement, but the problem is you have to approve a post every time because they're so strict. And even then, I can't keep track of like 100 responses because Board Game Geek has too many people on it. It's a balancing act. The audio has been a little bit hit and miss lately, uh, but I think I sort of know why. I mean, hopefully this sounds a bit better. The microphone is a decent distance away from my mouth and it is a dynamic mic so it does require you to be semi-close but I've, I had echo cancellation on one time which really hurt and then another time I had uh, you know the volume setting way too high it automatically adjusts mic volume but obviously it must have been too high which means that the volume peaked too high when it was in like in edit so it clipped out a lot of the audio and it peaked and it reverbed and stuff like that so I've now turned off automatically adjust and I've turned the volume increase down. So I think it was at 100 before. Now it's only at 70. So we're going to see how this works. Hopefully this will improve it a little bit. But as I say, it's an experimentation project. Some of you don't care. Some of you have said the audio is fine, in which case, thank you very much. But 
some of you have pointed out the same issues that I think I've noticed. So hopefully, because I'd really not have to replace this mic if I don't have to, because I, I don't know, it worked fine before, so I don't know what's changed, but we'll have to see. Anyway, I better get a move on with this episode, because I am on slight bit of a deadline, because after I'm done with this episode, I have to go to uh, the Guildhall in Portsmouth, because I'm doing a favour for Dice Portsmouth, where they're doing a four-hour teaching event for games to the general public, and they've asked me to come along, because they're short-staffed, so it's like, fine, I'll come along and help you teach games. It's going to be light affair, but hopefully not just kids' games and not stuff like taco goat cheese pizza and all that nonsense. So, yeah, not a huge amount on this episode in terms of uh, content, because obviously I need to be able to get there and that, but I'll see what I can do. But I've already mentioned just how things are going. Like I say, health-wise, I'm not too bad, subject to one anxiety attack I had recently, but again, we'll get on to that in the discussion topic. For now, let's just get on to one game I've played, a uh, quick bit of news about the Art Nova expansion, and then we'll focus more on that discussion topic for this thing. Not to mention, give me a break. Did you just listen to the amount of content I've got to put out at the moment, including the top 100s? I'm kind of like worked quite hard, so I can't afford to do like an hour and a half long podcast at the moment, but at least I can put something out for you. So, why don't we start off first with a game I have played. I say I've played, I'm sad I've played it because, well, before I even mention the name of this game, this game is utter garbage. Utter, utter garbage. And so much so that I'm just giving it a one because I have no interest in playing this game again. I, you know, I haven't even marked my plays of it because I just, I don't even want to, like, I don't even want Board Game Geek to reflect that I've played it. It's so bad. This is Flick of Faith. Alright, this is apparently ranked 1254 on Board Game Geek. How? I have no idea. Uh, uh, you know, Awakened Realms Light, I think, publishes this. This is obviously like their sort of kiddie versions and that, but here's my thing. Granted, I'm not the biggest dexterity game fan, alright? I'm not a fan of dexterity games. I will stress that now. I particularly don't like the flicking games. I, like, I don't mind the stacking ones. I can get by those, but even then, dexterity games for me just feel like kids' games. Occasionally one may be there that's for adults. You could argue maybe Crokinole is adults, but again, that's just flicking discs, whatever. You know, pitch car, but again, it's just flicking discs, whatever. I mean, there's only so much you can do with a flicking disc. Uh, stacking games I can get behind a little bit because I'm a little bit more capable with those, but I really also suck at dexterity games, particularly flicking games. So again, there are a few factors to bear in mind here. But I wasn't looking forward to playing this one, and this was at the HMS Warrior uh, uh, Warrior Fest that I was at recently where we got to drink some good ales, we got to drink some good beers and stouts, but I also got to teach, well, actually, no, I didn't get to teach many games to people, because let's face it, the idea of teaching board games at a beer fest I thought was a bit of a dumb idea in the first place, but I went along, they wanted some help, and at the end of the day I got some free beer and stouts, so what was I going to complain about? At least I got some good drink and I got to hang out with some friends, but yeah, the idea of teaching board games at a place where people are there to get drunk, that's not the best idea idea. I mean, I took some pretty light games along, and that was too much for some people, or like, people just didn't have an interest in playing board games at a drinks fest. Occasionally they'd play a party game, or again, they'd play some kiddie dexterity game or something, but that's like, that's not the sort of thing that I want to play, and it's not the sort of thing I wanted to teach, so was a bit of a waste for me, that one, but oh well, I should have maybe gauged that before I uh, tried it, but uh, suffice to say, next year, if Warrior Fest is an annual thing, I'll be going there as a punter for the drinks and not for the games. <laughs> That's the main thing. But we played Flick of Faith first, and this was just what we were doing while we were waiting for the thing to start, 
and this is complete garbage. This is a dexterity game themed around, you know, Greek gods and stuff. Oh yeah, theme, whatever, it's a dexterity game. And you have this map, four islands, and you flick the discs from the corners, and you're trying to get your discs onto the islands for area control, as well as potentially in the middle. But also, there are tiny little circles on each island where if you get them in there, you can build your giant temple, which can score you more points, yada, yada, yada. That's pretty much the deal. Flick a disc, get area control, and do stuff, and get victory points. Right, so the concept sounds very kiddie, and even though there's grown adults here in this picture playing it. But this game just fails on so many levels. Firstly, whatever, it's another flicking game, I don't care. But here's the main problems this thing has. Firstly, the mat. This is a mat that you're supposed to play on, right? You flick it and the discs go across. I'm not the only one who has said this. Multiple reviewers have said this. The mat isn't flat. There's a bit, there's a crease that goes across like the sort of one third line across the map, which comes out of the box like that. And multiple tricks we've used to try and flatten it do not fully flatten it, which means that at least two people, particularly one based on where the crease was, are at a major disadvantage. Guess who was sitting in that disadvantaged position? Yeah, I'm sorry, but you can't give us a mat that requires flatness and fairness for dexterity and make it broken to the point where somebody is at a massive disadvantage. That does not work. All right, next up, the rules aren't particularly well written. They are a little bit fiddly. They're a little bit like overwrought for what is essentially a kid's flicking game. So, you know, just trying to learn it from the book, I thought, God, blimey, how many rules are in this for what is basically just flick a disc? This just seems over, over the top. And then on top of that, the player powers are completely unbalanced. You know, there's you know, there's a bunch of them here. I had Zeus, and I think uh, when you get a temple, bearing in mind it's very hard to get your disc even remotely within that border, right? But, you know, let's say you do manage and you get a temple. Zeus can build a temple on any island, okay? It's not bad, but it's very situational and it's not that big a deal, really, half the time. Somebody else, I can't remember who they were, had a power where they got to put this, like, finger hand or whatever on the table and it basically is a stop thing so you essentially put it on the table and you, if you flick your disc at it you can hit it and it stops your disc dead right that basically is broken i mean all you have to do is hit the hand and your hot and your shot will be on target every time it's stupidly overpowered compared to all the other powers and it just basically makes yeah, here it is there's his hand you get to put this giant thing on the table that's ridiculous. Totally overpowered. But even then, look at these player powers. Here you go, Zeus has got a sentence for his player power. These bottom three have got entire rule books wordy paragraphs for what is a flicking game. I mean, come on. Is, is it supposed to be light or is it supposed to be heavy? Cosmic Encounter has less text on some of their player powers than this. All right, what else is wrong with this game? Uh, the laws that you've got to pass. Well, the laws. Okay, so you get to vote on these laws. So you have a closed bid thing. You put thumbs up or thumbs down with these law cards, depending on what uh, happens. So here you've got uh, current mission phase. Players flick their profits with their eyes closed. Blah, 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 blah. Some even last till the end of the game. There was one. We voted on it for giggles in the first game of that. Right, first round, we got a law card that said, if anything touches a border, it's out which means that your disc has to be fully within the borders in order to count. That is hard enough for an island. As you can see in the picture, bear in mind the disc is the exact same size as that. For a temple, it is impossible. Even with the stopgap thing, it is pretty much impossible to get a temple with that card out and it lasts the whole game. It fundamentally broke the whole game on turn one, before we'd even started. 
Seriously, how did this game get past playtesting with some of these problems? A map that doesn't stay flat. Laws that break the game. Uh, you know, not, not just throw a spanner in the works. No, actively break the game. Weird, overwrought card rules for what is supposed to be a light game. Player powers that are fundamentally unbalanced. I mean, come on. You know, it's... You know, instead of one regular profit, Sphinx is considered a profit. Oh, so it's a slightly bigger disc. I don't know, but it's... It, I don't know, compared to that stopgap hand, Frazier's one with the heart is weird. It's a weird rule. Loki's barely makes sense. It's... Oh, everything about this game is just designed to tick me off, frankly. You know, I was not a fan. I was not inclined to play it. It looks colourful. Alright, I'm not going to deny it. It looks colourful on the board. These are big, chunky wooden pieces that you have to sticker, which is even more annoying. But, yeah, it's a nice-looking, colourful mat, and if it was flat, it would actually be good. But sadly, it's not, and multiple people have said so, which is bad. But yeah, I mean, I just don't care about this game. I mean, this nobody's going to have it. Nobody's going to play it, frankly, so I don't even know why you care. But, you know, just don't get it. There are much better dexterity games out there. Although, actually, I say there are much better dexterity games out there. I'm not a fan of them. So, I mean, I'd rather play Crokinole than this. I'd rather play Pitch Car. I'd rather play... Flicker, what's it called? Uh, the Flicker Dead? No, Dead of Flicking? I have no idea. The ones that are based in the zombie Wild West and stuff. You know, I'd rather play them even. This game just really rubbed me the wrong way. I have no desire to play this again. It was just fundamentally broken from that game. I never want to see this again. So, yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye to you. Right, well, let's get on to something that is actually fun. And this is what I was surprised about. Nobody was... Resp very few people responding on Facebook to a post about the biggest ex expansion to the biggest game that came out last year. Seriously? What? But, like I said, Facebook's a popularity contest now. So, I basically showed up, you know, I noticed that Arc Nova Aquarius, since Gen Con, has had a few more details put on it. Now, yes, this expansion was announced a few months ago, but we didn't know a lot about what was going to be in it. One sec, just need to take a drink. Thank you very much. Right. So, Ark Nova Aquarius. This is the expansion to the hot game. And yes, I am gagging for this expansion. What do you expect? Sadly, it's not an Essen release. It's 2023. Oh, well, let's be patient. It's not like the game doesn't have enough variety and amazement to it anyway. But here we go. So, Ark Nova Aquarius introduces new elements. So, this is effectively a modular expansion. And so, you have sea animals that each have to be played in special enclosures that must be built adjacent to water. Go figure. Uh, roughly half of them are reef dwellers. And whenever you add a reef dweller to your zoo, you trigger the ability of all reef dwellers in your zoo. Okay, that'd be interesting. Sounds a bit like the petting zoo thing. Uh, but here's a good bit. To deal with the dilution of the deck, naturally caused by adding more cards, all sea cards feature a wave icon. And whenever it is revealed, you discard the first card in the row and then replenish. Brilliant, because it means that all these extra cards you're adding basically refresh themselves. You put one out, crushes one card, another one comes out. Suddenly the dilution is not affected. Such a simple solution. Why didn't games like Terraforming Mars realize this? Hmm? You know, and this also means that it's going to be quite an interesting dynamic for like the row in general, because normally you're like, ah, oh, the coffee break's not going to happen for a while, so I'm not that fussed, I'll, I'll hang on, those cards will be around for a bit, I'll get them later. But now, because they can move at quite a rapid pace without warning, you suddenly have to be a little bit more careful about, oh yeah, somebody's going to be doing a cards action, they're doing a cards action, uh, I don't know, do I get those cards now, or do I take the chance? Because somebody could buy two cards from the row, 
and then another card comes out, a primate, a sea animal comes out, which then kills the first card, which then moves it across, another sea card comes out, which kills the first card again, you get what I'm saying? The display could move at pretty rapid paces, and uh, people complained about this in the game, so I think this is a pretty good thing. Uh, a fourth university, the Breed Registry, available on the Association Board. Now, this is what worries me a little bit, because is that going to be a revised board in the expansion box, or are we going to have a overlay that we put on the side or something? Because I really hope it's not that. You know, I don't like overlays. They... Bleh. But if you take it, you claim one of six special universities from the reserve that feature one research icon and one of six animal icons. When you take this registry, you must reveal cards on the top of the deck and keep the first revealed card with an animal icon that matches your chosen university. That's, again, brilliant, because if you're looking for a specific animal type, whether it's for a conservation project or a particular like sponsor you've got, get the university, gives you an icon for it, which powers up everything else, but also gets you a card gets you a free card draw of exactly the type of animal you want. Will you be able to play it? Depends. It could be a large animal. You might need other restrictions, but at least it's the right animal. For something like bears, where people find it hard to get bears because there's only so many in the deck, if I get the polar bear exhibit out, if the bear is one of those options, I'm grabbing it because that's a bear icon, which aren't the easiest ones to get hold of, and it will power everything else. Now, six animal icons, so what would you have? I mean, bird... Reptile, uh, Predator, probably, uh, Primate, I would imagine, uh, I guess Herbivore, that's five, uh, what else is there? I would imagine the only other one is probably Bear, I can't imagine they would do Petting Zoo, that doesn't really make sense, I've done Herbivore and Predator, Primate, Reptile, Bird, I think that's it, yeah, I think that's it, so the sixth one must be Bear, surely, unless it's C, it could be C, they could have a C icon, so we'll have to see, but I hope it's a bear. I hope they, I hope they don't put a sea animal as one of those universities. All right, cool, but that sounds cool. Now, this is the, oh yeah, and new bonus tiles and final scoring tiles will be included. Great, we need more bonus tiles and we definitely need more final scoring uh, cards because I think we're a little bit uh, short on those. But here's the, oh, here's the icing on the cake. <laughs> this is what I'm really looking forward to, fangirl squeal. For each of the five action cards, four Alternate versions with a little twist will be available. Players will draft action cards at the start of play. Drafting, that does elongate the game a bit, but hopefully it's a quick draft. Replacing two of their standard action cards with these new ones. Increasing the asymmetry in the game. Fantastic. More asymmetry, I love. The build, the build action, for example, might allow you to spend two money once per action to build over a rock or water space, with the upgraded side of the card allowing you to do this for free. The animal action might allow you to ignore one condition on an animal card that you're playing when you have the chance to put two animals into play, but play only one. These sound fantastic. More asymmetry, brilliant. But four alternate versions of five different cards. Wow, 20 different like variations in the actions there, right? Four times five. So that's already great, but you only get two. So out of all these variations... You're only going to be doing two of your five actions, and there's only one out of four possibilities. The variety in this game has just jacked up to 12 with this, and I can already see some of these leading to really good strategic plays, especially as you're drafting these. I mean, that build one, build over a water or rock space, that makes some of the maps brilliant. The sponsors Hollywood Hills one, that is a hard one to get the free H's on and the ice cream parlor because you got to build over, you got to build in and around all these rock places. If I can build over the mountains in the Hollywood Hills, 
yeah, those sponsor H's are going to get used up pretty quickly. So, you know, ah, this could lead to so much cool stuff. I mean, what, what other variations could you do for stuff like the association board or the cards action? I mean, could you get one from reputation range? Would it allow you to draw extra cards? Uh, I don't know. What would you be able to do with that? But then also, uh, what else could you do with the sponsor's card? I mean, the possibilities are endless. There's so much you could do. And I cannot wait for this. I'm going to want to use this in every single game, even if I'm teaching the game, frankly. Uh, if I'm teaching the game, I just probably will simply, like, you know, give the cards rather than let people draft. But, yeah, ah, oh, I mean, everything about this expansion sounds great. Now, granted, I hope that this whole, uh, the C icon thing for dealing with the dilution works. I hope there's no overlay for this uh, association board. I hope it's a revised board. And I hope that uh, the drafting doesn't elongate the game too long. So there are little things that i got to be mindful of, you know, as a critic. But, yeah, everything about this expansion sounds fantastic. I cannot wait. Gibby, 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 gibby. <laughs> giggy, 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 goo. <laughs> I really want this expansion so bad. Oh, I mean, the game is so good. I love it. <laughs> Would it be in the top 100? Yes, yeah, spoiler alert, of course it will be. But how high? You'll have to see. You know, there's a lot of great games in my top, like, 30 games of all time. So, uh, yeah, where do you think it's going to end up? We'll see. But... Oh man, I, I love this game. I love Art Number. I played it last week at the club. Three of us. I had one new player that he picked up relatively quickly because he'd played Terraforming Mars before. We got it done in less than two and a half hours, including the setup and teach, I think, with three of us, you know, so it probably was closer to two hours of actual play. Uh, and yeah, it was another great game. I wiped the floor with the other two opponents, but... Yeah, I had fun sort of going for monkeys and uh, adapting to the conservation projects, like really going heavy on those conservation projects, the base ones, you know, ignoring science. You know, there was there was a lot of cool stuff with that. And I think I had the board that I had the board that allows you to sell cards for free bucks when you connect it. Normally a board I don't tend to do well with, but I tried to focus on that ability and really get the card draw going actually worked out quite well i actually had a bunch of cards that i was willing to sh sell for the free bucks and those free bucks came in handy every now and again so yeah i think i've underestimated that board but yeah art nova aquarius <laughs> hopefully more people will talk on youtube about it than they will on facebook but uh yeah there's no image available but just give me give me give me give me give me, give me. i mean i want the art nova map pack as well although god that's expensive 10 pound or something for uh, two maps that is basically a rip-off Capstone Games, you got to admit. But if they've got them at Essen and they're selling them for 10 euro, you know I'm buying it. <laughs> you know I'm going to buy it because I'm a sucker. You know I'm a sucker for anything Art Nova. But yeah, it's a rip-off. I know it. It's bad value for money, but I want the map pack anyway. So hopefully at Essen, I'll get uh, one of those. Right. Let's get on to the whole crux of what this... Uh, Thing is about so i need to go into a little bit of context first and what have i got uh, it's 10 25 i need to get there for 11 so yeah i need to obviously rush with this this i'm normally i wouldn't point these things out but i'm tired of being a punching bag on social media right now because that's what i seem to be but basically this all arose from a conservation um, conversation on twitter well i say a com conversation it wasn't really much of one but uh joe wiggins from uh board game tables uh put out a tweet saying that he played Art Nova, but the negative he had about it was that it felt very anticlimactic. Like, he thought it was a bit overrated. And that's, ah, that's fine. Art Nova is not for everybody. I'm not going to say Art Nova is a game that everyone should own. I just love it. But 
I was a bit curious about the whole anticlimactic ending part of it, because I've got my own thoughts as we're going to go on to in a minute. But I responded by, he said like, oh, it's anticlimactic and I don't like that. And I responded by sort of with a counter argument saying, but aren't most Euros fairly anticlimactic? Simple counter argument. And this was the response I got. It's not. Thanks for weighing in. Here's a ticket. Maybe play again next time. Do I really need to say anything else on that? You cannot get more condescending a statement than that. That, I mean, I posted that meme there, like, wow, really? Because I was shocked that I got that response, okay? A simple counter-argument, no discussion, no debate, just, you're wrong, I'm right, go away, shoo, bye, 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 I'm going back to my ivory tower now, bye. It's like, wow. I was, and this is the guy I followed on Twitter, I actually followed, because I like the bags, I've got the board game table bags, you know, and I mean, granted, one of them broke, you know, so product quality, but, you know, when I emailed uh, customer services about it, a very nice woman, I forgot her name, but credit where it's due, lovely lady, talked me through it, and I only asked for a strap, I just wanted the shoulder strap, the thing had sheared, because of, I didn't have it too heavy, I had it at normal load, but the thing snapped, and it's like, all right, fine, can you just send me another strap, that's all I need. She sent me an entire new bag. So now I've got two bags down there. I've got two premium bags, one with a shoulder strap and one without. Wow, good customer service. I'll give credit where it's due, all right? You know, so whoever you were, lady, thank you, all right? You, you get the credit. But this blew my mind, okay? So I, somebody else, like literally, and most people who say something like this on Twitter normally get eviscerated. If I say anything like that on Twitter, I'd get eviscerated, right? Nobody batted an eyelid. Nobody cared. And when one person came to my defense on the whole statement, and suffice to say, when I called him out on it, blocked. Yeah, <laughs> so blocked on Twitter. So, you know, that being said, was not particularly happy with that. And that was why I was, this was the anxiety attack I had. It really sort of set me off on a bit. And thanks to everybody who responded with very kind comments about that, um, you know, to, you know, settle me down. And, that. and I'm fine. I'm fine now. I'm fine now, the anxiety dropped very quickly, I went out, got distracted, but yeah, I was not particularly happy with the way that went, that really wasn't a good, like, mental health-wise for me, but that being said, you know, bad egg, whatever, but I wanted to catch up more on why I counter-argued with this point, okay, so climactic endings, this is what I want to talk about on this episode, so, and with the time I've got left, Euro games and Amerifresh games are very different when it comes to this kind of thing because it's one thing to say that uh, yeah that you have a climactic ending to a game. Okay, so what is climactic? You know, something that's like, oh my god, yes, oh that finished, oh that was such a close nail-biting ending. Oh, you know, that kind of feeling. I guess you want to have. But my counter argument was, don't most Euros feel anticlimactic? Because surely they do, don't they? Isn't that just a trait of Euro games? You know, you want to compare something like, you know, a, a Euro game ending to an Amerifresh or co-op game ending, right? So you're comparing something like, I don't know, Tale to, you know, one of the Board and Die T-series games, like, you know, Tale to Huacan, and you're going to compare it to something like, well, no, Lords of Waterdeep. I'd say that as a good example, right? Lords of Waterdeep, eight rounds or whatever, and you're done. 
score up points, right? Compare that to something like Ghost Stories or Pandemic or a Flashpoint Fire Rescue like co-op game where you're like, ah, down to the wire, well, Spirit Island and the heavier ones, like you're down to the wire, you're almost going to die, XCOM, brilliant one, yeah, you're, you're down to the wire, you think you're going to die, come on, get that die roll, get that card, we need it, come on, get in there, yes, we've done it, you know, fantastic, cheer. You don't get that in a Lords of Waterdeep Euro game, let's be frank here, okay? To put it into movie terms, which I tend to like to do, if you imagine that an Amerifragile co-op game ends in the same way that Avengers Infinity War does, remember that ending? Ho-ho-wee, oh, that ending, right? That's Amerifragile co-op games, okay? Euro games are Dune, alright? <laughs> whether you like the movie or not, I don't like the movie, but whether you like that movie or not, the new one, the ending sucks. Okay, you know, there have been good part one, part two cliffhangers. The ending to part one of Dune sucks because it essentially, you know, you imagine like the, the Avengers Infinity Wars, like massive battle and then, you know, the big baddie and then, oh my God, no, you did? Disney, I can't believe you had the balls to do that. Oh my God, brilliant. You know, you know it gets you all that, eat the popcorn like crazy, right? The, the Dune ending is basically, I am the chosen one. I don't like you. Slappy, 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 fight. Oh, you beat me. Woe is me. Oh, look at the desert over there. Oh, Finn. That's basically the ending to do, all right? <laughs> it's like, it sucks. It's anticlimactic. And that's a Eurogame style. So, okay, we, we kind of gathered that Amerifrash and co-op games always typically have, I mean, not always, all right, most of the time will have climatic endings. That's just the nature of their games. They're usually based on like a final die roll, a final card draw, a final action, you know, a plan coming to fruition. You know, they, they have these factors that come into it that make the endings feel tense, energetic, climatic, you know, even dexterity games. I mean, I gave them rags earlier, but they do have climatic endings. I mean, you've got the person, you know, two or three people at the end of pitch car and they're all at the end. It's like, come on, make that shot. Yes. You know, those sort of things can have a climatic ending. Euro games don't really have that sort of thing. That's not the way they're designed. Here, so the idea you will have noticed that I don't use this as an argument when I talk about uh, Euro games in reviews. You know, when was the last time you saw me say it was an anticlimactic ending in a Euro game? I don't. At least I try not to because it doesn't make sense. It's a moot point. You know, and the idea that you know Joe was using it as a, a negative against Dark Nova doesn't sit well with me because I'm like, okay, fine, you don't like Art Nova, that's fine. There's plenty of other things you could be negative about it, like components and the length and stuff like that. But the anticlimactic ending just doesn't work because you could say that about most games. It just seems like a cop-out. So, all right, let's talk, you know, I've been sort of talking with my face on the camera for a bit. Why don't we get the screen up and show a few examples? So I would put Euro games into three tiers, okay? Three tiers of types of games that you have for climatic endings. All right, so tier three, Lords of Waterdeep. So this is the type of game where, in fact, what do I rate Lords of Waterdeep at the moment? Eight. Ooh, I'm dropping that down to a seven. Yeah, that's definitely a seven now. I like it, but it is dropping for me. But, okay, so Lords of Waterdeep. It ends in, what, like eight rounds? I forget how many rounds it is. It's on the board somewhere. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, and depending on the number of agents you have or something like that. But you know how many rounds the game is going to take. And at the end of that time, score up, right? Nothing else, just we're done, score. And you know it's anticlimactic because one of the first phrases you hear someone say is, right, we're done. Because that's kind of the feeling you get. It's like, right, we've done eight rounds. Are we good? Right, let's score up. Very anticlimactic. And this is tier three. This is like the super anticlimactic Euro, where it's just a fixed number of rounds. That's it. 
job done, let's go home. And there's a lot of Euro games like this. <laughs> Lords of Waterdeep I'm just using as a very easy example, but there are a countless amount of Euro games that end in a fixed number of rounds. Any game that's like that is considered anticlimactic in my opinion. Take a drink, take a drink. <laughs> take a drink every time Luke has a rant. Uh, called Blimey. <laughs> that sounds like a drinking game that would end uh, very badly for some. Right. Okay, so that's tier three. Tier two is the person trigger, the human trigger. So this is where you have uh, a, like a factor in the game that ticks down as the players do their usual thing. But eventually, by player action, something is going to happen which triggers the end of the game. So I'm going to give a very good example here. Viscounts of the West Kingdom. So Viscounts of the West Kingdom, suffice to say, spoiler alert, the expansions are fantastic. But I will talk about them in more detail as to what they offer when I do that video. But okay, Viscounts of the West Kingdom. So this game has a system where you have debt and deed cards. You pick them up as you do the various actions. And I'll see if I can get a picture of them somewhere. But well, here they are in this top corner here. So basically, you set up so many of these at the start of the game. And they drain as the game goes on. And when one of the piles exhausts out, that's the game end trigger. You finish the round, have one more turn, and then go. Granted, the whole have one more turn type thing is a little bit anticlimactic in itself. But that aside, it's not that the game takes so many rounds. It's that the game will end and you kind of see it coming, but you don't entirely know exactly when. You feel like, all right, when they do the next action, yeah, that's probably going to trigger it. But then they might surprise you and do something different. And the game might go on just that little bit longer than you think. But then somebody might come out of the woodwork and suddenly nick the rest of the deeds part. It's like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Wow, you've triggered it now. Oh, OK. And that's slightly climatic, you know, but slightly, but, you know, it's the next stage up. So this one is tier two. These are probably some of my more favorite, well, I don't know, actually, I suppose tier one is more my favorite, but this is still a type of endgame condition I like. It's the, the idea that something will happen in the game that causes the game to end, but it's player-induced. I'm just sort of looking at my shelf now to see if there's any other examples. Uh, now, that's fixed rounds, so that doesn't work. That's fixed rounds, that doesn't work. Well, actually, as I look at automobiles, racing games, that's an interesting point. Racing games are usually more climatic, but then would you class a racing game as a Euro? I guess you could for automobiles and something like uh, the GMT ones, but for a typical one like Downforce or Camel Up? I don't know, I wouldn't really call them Euros per se. It's a, kind of its own genre, but yeah, racing games should be fairly climatic. Uh, but I'm trying to think, where else is there a... Seven Wonders would be tier three. That's just a fixed number of rounds. Wingspan, fixed number of rounds. I'm trying to say there's got to be one on here that's got a variable. Well, Baron Park. Uh, Baron Park, yes. When somebody finishes their entire grid, that triggers the end game. Splendor, when somebody hits 15 points, that triggers the end game. Civilization has uh, when somebody gets two forts and something else again, that triggers the end game. So stuff like that. You know, there's probably something in the screen here that somebody's already spotted, but, you know, in the Hall of the Mountain King, Predaporter? No, Predaporter is fixed number of rounds. In the Hall of the Mountain King is player-triggered. Yes, that's um, a player-trigger. So these are examples of games where that happens, and these are sort of climactic, but they're cool. But you kind of see them coming. You can prep for them. There'll be some slight variation, like, oh, wow, it's a little bit sooner than I thought, a little bit later than I thought. But again, you kind of half know they're there. So going back to the tiers, all right, well, let's... Oh, actually, well, no. Well, why don't we... Where does Ark Nova fit in these tiers? Well, Ark Nova fits in this tier. Easily. 
Ooh, number seven on board. Yeah, Board Game Geek Top 107. Come on, go and overtake the rest of the crud that's up there. Right, um, but yeah, this one, this game ends when your two counters pass by. So you've got your appeal track, you've got your conservation track. When the two pass by, that triggers the end game and each player gets one last turn. You can kind of see it coming, but you don't necessarily know what turn they'll cross. It could be this turn, you might get another round, you might even be lucky enough to get another coffee break by then. You know, that's it's the same deal. But this is that sort of thing. It's player-induced endgame trigger. So this is exactly the same as Viscounts and Hall of Mountain King and everything that I just mentioned, right? Is that climatic for you? Maybe not. But I can't call Ark Nova anticlimactic and not call other games anticlimactic. It doesn't make sense. Ooh, I've got to get out of rush here. Right, so let's move on to Tier 1. So what's Tier 1? Tier 1 is something like Spike, right? Spike is a Euro game I talk about reasonably often, all right? Cool little game. But Spike has a free uh, cards that you put in as interim scoring, right? In the deck of cards that you're drawing from. And so the idea is that you play the game as normal, you do the pick up and deliver, but eventually, as you draw these train cards, there's going to be free interim scoring phases. And Ethnos has a similar thing, actually. I'm, I'm burnt out on Ethnos, but Ethnos has the same sort of deal. You put in scoring cards, and you draw the first one, you do a scoring. It's like, okay, that's one a bit down. Uh, Airlines Europe, another example. Um, you draw the second card, it's like, right, we've had another scoring. Right, now the first card is somewhere in the bottom area, but I don't know exactly where it is. Oh, I don't know when it's going to come up. How many turns have I got left? Oh, I don't know. This is what a climatic ending for a Euro game is. This is as close as it will get to being climatic because you the tension is there. The fear is there. I'm playing Spike and I'm trying to deliver stuff from A to B. I know that I've still got to achieve this bit before the game ends, but I don't know how many turns I've got left. I, I, I might get one turn, I might get two, I might get three. That card could be the bottom of the deck. It could be literally the top in that bottom third. It could literally be about to come out. Alhambra. Perfect example. Yes, Alhambra, as I think about it, has a similar deal. You put in the scoring card in the, uh, oh, what do you call it? The property cards or whatever it is you have. And in Alhambra, you, you're thinking, right, well, how, many time, how much time have I got to build up my city in that? Before eventually, when money gets bought, that third scoring comes out. And it's like, oh, but that was so close. I was going to get a purple and then I was going to overtake you on that. Ah, stupid deck. That is tier one. That is climatic endings for Euro games. If you want to praise a Euro game for having a climatic ending, this is the type of ending that you're using, okay? A hidden endgame scoring trigger that you know is coming, but you have no idea when it's gonna pop up. That is pure climatic Euro-ness, all right? The second tier is semi, the third is not climatic at all. But I refuse to let the idea that you can call a Euro game anti-climatic and use that as a flaw to badger a game when it pretty much is the case for, as I said, as my counter-argument, don't most Euros have this problem? This is what I'm getting at, okay? The lengthy version of what I had to do in a tweet, okay? Because I literally had a tweet to give my counterpoint. I hoped it was going to go into a discussion, but no, it ended badly, as it seems. But this is my long-winded discussion, okay? It, this is how it works. Amerifrash, usually always climatic. Co-op games, mostly usually climatic if they're a good co-op game, right? Euros, tier one, tier two, tier three, you know, the fixed rounds, player-induced trigger, hidden in-game trigger. That's the thing. Now, is there a tier I've missed? Is there a type of end-game trigger I've missed? By all means, let me know in the comments. But I'm running out of time. I need to get a move on. So, uh, yeah, sorry that this episode had to be a little bit rushed. But like I said, I gave my reasons. I need to go teach games to uh, new players and get new people into the hubby.
That's always good, isn't it? <laughs> it's always a good cause. But yeah, so you know, let me know your comments. You know, do I mean forget about the whole thing with you know Joe and that. That's whatever. These things happen. I'm a punching bag on the media in the industry. It's just the way it is, really. But thanks to everybody who shows me support. I really do appreciate it. It helps a lot with the anxieties. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm more interested in you know what do you think about these climatic endings do you agree with that tier system i've got tier one two three is there a fourth is there a fourth tier that i hadn't considered another type of end game trigger that just didn't cross my mind when i was thinking about this i'd be interested to know any game examples that you can think of what is your most climatic ending for a euro game that you know which euro game gives you the most climatic feel ignore racing games because i think that's its own sub thing you know consider what i've said in those tiers what's your most climatic game this is one i want to know so that's it for me i'll see you on the next broken meeple show top 100 review like i say there's a ton of stuff coming you know expect another video tomorrow it'll probably be the great planes review and then the top 100 segment will come on a day a day or two after that like i say there's a lot of content coming so expect a very busy august and september for me leading up to SM. but i'll see you on the next broken meeple show i'm luke hector thank you for listening uh take care everybody if you want to check out more content on the show then by all means check out the last two podcast episodes i've done because they've got some good discussion topics in there as well hopefully you found this one uh entertaining both in rant form and in discussion form you know you know you we can disagree we can totally disagree on things but i want to have a debate all i asked for was a debate all right was that too much to ask you know just to discuss these things but like i say i'll see you on the next show take care and what does this drama just remind us of the same motto take care and remember as always at the end of the day it's only a game so even i shouldn't really worry too much take care bye for now love you all